Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. My name is Stephanie, and I am a recovered alcoholic on staff at the Magdalene House. Each week, I have the pleasure of conducting a live interview with an alcoholic woman in recovery for the participants who are currently in our Next Step program. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Um, Kathleen, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, Just a little bit about what this is. Um, I think I told you a little bit, but I like to think of them as, and for our newbies who've never done this before, as like God-guided conversations, (laughs) because I don't really know what's going to be um, talked about. I always come in with an idea and then, you know, things happen, they change and everything else, but it's always been really insightful. So Chloe, would you like to introduce our guest today? Sure. Hey. Hey guys. I'm super happy to be here this morning and so glad to hear Kathleen. So um, I've known Kathleen um, for a couple of years now. I first heard her present at a conference on Step 12. And right after that, I asked her to be my sponsor. So she is my sponsor. And, um, you know, I, I, you, you guys will see she's an amazing person. But, you know, I think what drew me to her the most is just like her love of AA. Like Kathleen has just this like absolute um, she's just a really good AA member. Like I aspire to be like that. She is, um, dedicated and active and involved and, um, really busy in AA, even with, you know, over three decades of sobriety. And, um, you know, and that's, that's something that doesn't happen a lot. So I am, you know, just really excited to be here. She knows a ton about AA history. And, um, so if any of you guys have any questions about where, this whole crazy 12-step program came from, um, you know, write those questions down because she is just a wealth of knowledge. So I am so excited to be here and I love you. I love you too. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Kathleen, do you mind first um, introducing yourself, giving the girls a little bit of background to qualify yourself as an alcoholic? Sure. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks, Chloe. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, I sobered up here in Dallas, Texas, and I'll just share a little bit. I, I grew up on the East Coast. I grew up in a, a rough little neighborhood called South Philly in Philadelphia. And uh, drugs were just a big part of that life. Um, it was the 60s, the late 60s. And I know many of you weren't here. Probably none of you were here. But I was, and I was like 16 and ready to Roll. So I got started with some drugs, you know, just innocently smoking pot and moved on to other drugs and moved on to finally to heroin. And uh, it was just, um, it was the times, it was me, it was a child and a lot of hurt, which I didn't know anything about. I just wanted to be a rebel and rock and roll. And um, I won't go into great detail because you know what I found? Our stories are all the same. You did a little more, you did a little less. You did it here, you did it there. But basically what I feel and found in most cases, alcoholics are trying to kill themselves. You know, we're women and men in a lot of pain for, for whatever reason. And drugs and alcohol gave me a way out. It made me feel okay. 
And uh, it took me down a road I never wanted to go. I never thought I'd go. I was with people I didn't want to be with, doing things I didn't want to do and uh, places I didn't want to be. But I didn't know any of that. I was young. So by the time I was 21, I was in a, uh, a methadone clinic. I understand methadone is still around. Uh, so that, was, that had just happened where methadone was being given to junkies to kind of get off the drug. They never got off the drug. Uh, I was living in um, uh, some kind of, you know, flop house in Center City, Philadelphia, with some old man. He was about 35. <laughs> but when you're 21, 35, it's like, he was ancient. Um, life was not in the fast lane, guys. Life was not in the fast lane. I got into, uh, there, there weren't really treatment centers. I guess there were, but no one really knew anything about them. But I was on welfare, so they sent me to a, a hospital with a psych ward. And I got off the methadone. I asked to do it. I just knew. You know, we talk about an inner guidance. And I didn't know anything about AA or NA, but I knew that I was going to die. I knew I was not this clever, this smart, this, this tough. I wasn't. And um, I got off the methadone and heroin, and I realized that was the problem. Those drugs were the problem, and I learned how to drink alcohol. Uh, and so funny. Now, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. I can see this now. But at the time, it was just almost this inner, like, thank God, I found something I can do so I can live like everyone else. And for a long time, you know, we talk about now Fogs Anonymous, there's a great way to tell a story and a, for an alcoholic, and it's the alcoholic takes a drink, and then the drink takes a drink, and then the drink takes the alcoholic. And now I can look back and see this, you know, for a while it was a lot of fun, I hope it was fun. I was a party girl, I'm out there after hour clubs, which were a blast, uh, doing a little bit of pot, you know, a little a little snorting of meth, but basically learning how to drink and dad, you know, having a good, good time. I drank for the effect. I drank to blackout. I thought everyone did that. It's an amazing story for alcoholics. Most of us, many of us think, well, everyone must do this because I'm with people who do this. Um, it didn't get better. It got worse. I moved. I changed everything in my life, guys. I tried to. I changed the way I spoke. I changed the way I dressed. I used to dress like a little slut kitten, you know, 21. I'm cute. I'm out there. I got boyfriends all over the place. Um, I moved to California. And, uh, but I never thought to change anything on the inside. It was everything. If I only can do this, if I only look this way, if I could, if I could have this, I'm sure I'm going to be okay. And, um, I finally moved to Dallas, Texas about 37 years, 38 years ago. And uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine alcohol was a problem. Drugs were a problem. Drugs had been a problem. But I knew I didn't drink like other people. And I didn't know what was wrong. Something was wrong. So I, uh, I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know how. We didn't talk about it. You know, like when I was young, 21, I didn't hear anything about AA. We, when I was in the hospital, they took us to some, um, I don't know what they were, probably NA meetings, but I didn't relate to any of that. So flash forward, I'm now 32. I was 32 years old. I know I'm dying. And I had that moment of clarity that we talk about. I love to hear that, you know, that moment of clarity, however it appears. It doesn't, it's not one set formula that says this is what happens. It was one morning waking up August 10th, 1983. I've moved to Texas, I'm living in North Dallas, um, and I realized nothing had changed in my life.
I had I had gotten older. I was no longer shooting dope. I was drinking myself to death. I wasn't going into dope houses. I was drinking. And uh, I woke up that morning with someone I didn't know, didn't know where my car was, and couldn't remember much about the night. And I thought, man, nothing about this is different. It's not, it's just older and different place. Uh, I knew about AA. I used to look it up in the phone book and my friends remember some, the big yellow pages. And I would look at AA. Somehow I knew that AA would, could help. I figured like many of us that Alcoholics Anonymous uh, would let me stop drinking for a couple days. And I called Alcoholics Anonymous and probably some of the best gigs in town are answering phones for crazy people like me calling because uh, I called the group it's still my home group it's called Dallas North I lived in North Dallas and I said to the woman very clearly I don't want to stop drinking I just want to not drink for three or four days <laughs> and uh, you know I look at that now and I think there was a spirit a power greater than myself that took me by the hand and Alcoholics Anonymous took me by the hand and just said, come on in here. And there was a woman answered the phone. She said, well, honey, why don't you just come in here at six o'clock? Because at six o'clock, that's when we like to have cocktails. And um, just come on in here to this group. So, uh, and that sounded very civilized. I thought, wow, if I could not drink for three or four days, I'll feel better. So I, um, I went into Dallas North. I waited outside in the parking lot, like a lot of us do. And um, I walked in there and I, could, I couldn't believe these people have been sober, like six months, a year. They were talking about things that I was, I was embarrassed for them. You know, they were talking about losing their car, losing their kids, uh, going to jail. They're, they were talking about things that I knew about and I was so ashamed of. I couldn't imagine anyone would talk about this. And that began the journey, you know, began a journey of recovery. Little could I know. How, how could anyone know? How could we possibly even imagine? what's in store for us, the good, the bad, the ugly, the tough times, the sweet times, the sweet times of surrender. I didn't know any of that. You know, it's, um, it's everything that the book talked about, but I couldn't hear that. I just couldn't believe that someone didn't drink for six months. That was amazing to me and have a life. I can imagine just holding on. Hey, yeah, guys, you know, it started this journey. And I'll just say this, because some of you, not all of you may relate. When I was two weeks sober, I found him in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he had a year of sobriety, which is like forever. And uh, he was very angry. And uh, I just feel, you know, I just knew in my heart that this poor boy had never been loved. And I was the girl that was going to do that. And then I got into the worst addiction of my life, uh, codependency an addiction to a, a man, whether, you know, love, a love addiction. And it took me two years to, uh, to get out of that and two years to heal from that. Uh, I think it's a lifetime of healing from a lot of things from our childhood, from the pain we've inflicted on ourselves, from the things I've done. But I found that healing in Alcoholics Anonymous. I stayed sober. That was the only thing I did. No matter how the fights were, no matter how bad it was, I didn't drink. He drank but I didn't drink and I did get outside help. And I did that first, my first fourth step where I wrote, you know, I wrote all these things. I didn't have a dad. I grew up pretty poor and I was that, that, that. And, uh, but when I put my name on that list of my first fourth step, pages and pages of anger and hate came out. No one, 
none of you and no one I know would ever do to me what I did to myself. So it's quite a, quite a remarkable journey. Um, I've stayed in AA. I've always been involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. You taught me to, um, to get out there. You know, they, they talked about AA at the time. It's like being in a car or riding in a car, riding on the roof of a car, on top of a car. And I've done both. Um, in sobriety and drinking. And, uh, you know, when you go through a tough patch, if you're inside the car, chances are you're going to be okay. But if you're just hanging around AA, um, you may not be able to stay. And I've learned that, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm inside AA. I've learned how to reach out. I've learned how to, um, um, hang out with people in sobriety. You know, the first uh, time I was invited to a sober party, Oh, I just thought my life is over. This is, I can't believe I'm sober. And I remember I said to my friend, so what do you want me to do? Like bring Coca-Cola's? He goes, yeah, yeah, you bring the Cokes. I'm like, oh, my God. And I did. I brought the Cokes and I was so uncomfortable. But you know, you kept showing me how to show up. That's all I was required to do. Not drink, show up, keep an open mind and try. I love art when we read how it works. You know, if not, not if God were found, if if God were sought, and I too had all those, uh, like a lot of people, this God thing wasn't for me. It had been when I was a kid, but it wasn't anymore. And uh, you didn't make hard demands on me. Alcoholics, you still do not make hard demands on me. Alcoholics Anonymous has given me a way of life that I could have never dreamt possible. I learned early on, there's a great thing in AA we say, you know, from Yale to jail, from park avenues to park benches. Alcohol does not discriminate, doesn't care who your daddy is, doesn't care where you came from, doesn't care what color you are. It will take you down the same road. And uh, that was something I had to learn because I truly felt if I had this outside stuff, I'd be okay. So that was the beginning. Um, I hope to think this is still the beginning. Every day I learned something new. I've been sober 36 years. I have a blast in Alcoholics Anonymous. I love Chloe. I have the most amazing women in my life. I've been through some, uh, you know, really codependent relationships. Not, not many, not many. You know, by the time I got there, I had had enough. But after, I, after that one ended painfully, it was one of the most painful things I've ever done. Learning to let go, learning to heal, learning to love myself, learning that I deserve more, and learning to forgive myself. That is a journey. This is a journey that never ends, and it's such a sweet surrender. Um, learning to grow up in Alcoholics Anonymous, Anonymous, learning my worth, learning that all of these women are one. I became the same woman, the same woman at work. We're talking about work. I became, after time, the same woman who showed up at work was the same woman who showed up in a relationship. It's the same woman who showed up in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's an amazing gift for an alcoholic, especially for women. I think we can run around and put on many, many hats. I'll be whoever you think I should be today. And then we turn out to be the child of God that God meant us to be. So I don't want to take up all the time with that. It goes on and on. Fortunately, it's a great life. I'm extremely grateful. I, uh, I remember Maggie's when at first meeting, uh, and I, won't, I, I don't want to go into this, but I'll have to mention it. This a moment Chloe and I had two. The woman, the four women who started Maggie's were all from my home group, Dallas North. And so uh, when they were going to, they had this idea to start Magdalene House. This was... 34, 35 years ago. No, not that long ago, not 32 years ago. I was, new, I was four years sober and I went to a meeting 
they had a meeting of all women and they said, look, we have this idea and we think there's, there's no place in Dallas where a woman can go if she doesn't have insurance and she can't get sober. And, and uh, it was the beginning of Magdalene House and they passed the basket and women chipped in money and we said, yeah, this is a great idea. This can happen in Dallas. And here we are all these years later with Maggie's house, with a safe place for women to go. And uh, so it's, it's a rich heritage. We have so much to be grateful for. And I am, I'm, I'm extremely grateful. So this, this is the time in life. It's a very sweet time. An older woman, I am uh, happily married for 28 years. I've been sober a long time. I've retired and uh, I get to do things that are just simple and sweet. You know, like take the dog for a walk, especially now in COVID-19. But I, to think I could have missed it all, to think I would have missed life for a drink. I would have missed life for a drug. It's mind boggling. And I'm so grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous for not letting that happen. So that's a little bit about me. So Stephanie, guide me and tell me how this works. And I'm just thrilled to meet you ladies and to be part of this. Well, thank, thank, thank you very much. So we just open it up for questions. Um, I always come in with questions I wanna ask, but do you all have any questions that you wanna to ask to start? I have more of a statement, Miss Kathleen. I love that you added yourself to your men's list. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think of that. And that's, mm -hmm. that's really cool. I'm going through my steps. And when you said that, it's, I just love that we can always hear just a little bit more every time we attend a meeting or hear somebody speak about their own experience and how it can help us evolve. So thank you very much for that. That was really beautiful. Yeah, you bet. Anyone? Okay. Um, so my question is, um, can you talk about um, the four absolutes and what that four absolutes are and how that has to do with AA? Yes, I can. I have a way of remembering them. Absolute honesty, absolute unselfishness, absolute love, and absolute purity. And the four absolutes start it with the Oxford group, which is where we get a lot of our, uh, the basis, a lot of our spiritual roots are planted in the Oxford group. The Oxford group was a Christian movement that started, oh gosh, I want to say like 1920. Um, and they believed in the four absolutes. And what, it, and it's great, I love this about the absolutes. Um, it's so simple. Is it, is it, is it unselfish? Whatever I'm about to do. Does it hold up to those four truths? Is it loving? Is it unselfish? Is it honest? And uh, Bill Wilson was a member of the Oxford group, and what, so was Dr. Bob, and um, so was Ann Smith, and so was Henrietta Sieberling, and we don't hear much about our women, but that is changing. And so they, they didn't have an AA book. They didn't have, they just realized if they could talk to one another, they could stay sober. And so the program very much was based on the Oxford group and these four absolutes. So um, to break it down, to be really simple, I think I have a friend who goes, well, that sounds scary. Absolutely. It's the absolutes that these are truths. These are truths of honesty. Honesty is truth. Love is truth. Unselfishness is truth. And it reflects in the steps of our program. Our, our very first step, you know, we're powerless over alcohol and our lives are unmanageable. Am I being absolutely honest with that? And yes. So today, 
it's gotten pretty uh, simple if I apply those those principles, those uh, absolutes into my program, I can break it down. You know, is it true? Is it honest? Is it unselfish? Is it pure? When we talk about purity, thank God. <laughs> I'm laughing because, whoa, I, I, I just don't know many pure women, especially when we're coming in the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are girls who like to go out there. Um, but is it pure today? Is it pure of thought? Is my um, instincts, not my instincts, is my motives, are they pure? I was a woman, like many alcoholic women, I always had like a back agenda. I, I wasn't even conscious of it, but I was good looking, beautiful woman, young, cute, sexy, drunk. There was always an agenda. There was always gonna be someone out there that could do something for me. And uh, it wasn't until I got into A that I heard you talk about this. So when someone asked Bill Wilson, where he put the four absolutes in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, or more importantly, in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. He said he put them in steps six and seven. And I have come to see, the longer I'm sober, that six and seven are the turning points. The turning points of, you know, they only take up like a couple sentences in the big book, but they are the turning points. And even today, I have, I have a lot of friends who are sober a long time, my girlfriends, I've got a lot of gay boyfriends. We all hang out. My husband's sober a long time. And we talk about the willingness. Am I willing to let this go? Am I willing to be changed at depth? Am I willing to be practice the uh, absolutes of honesty? Um, and that's, it's, it's such an amazing journey because there are days I no, I don't think so. But most of the time, and our step six is all about the willingness to be honest. And that's honest sometimes. How committed am I to my past? Am I willing to let my past go? So that may be more than you wanted to know, but if you want to keep talking about it, Stephanie, I'm afraid I have a lot more to say. So but I, it's, that's the fun part about our history. And Chloe loves history too, to realize what's happened here and how we have been taken into a place, a spiritual world. This is not what I signed up for, guys. Remember, I'm the girl who called Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm and said, I want to stop drinking for three or four days. And then one of the promises, we're rocketed into a, a world we never dreamt possible. So that's, that's, they do, you know, when you think about that honesty and you think about um, purity, just purity of heart, what are my motives? And what a thing for an alcoholic to think about. It tells us in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our problem. And then just to go right on to where we become, who we become and what happens in our lives is quite remarkable. So there, that's my take on the four absolutes. I think they still very much resonate and live in the steps of AA, but it keeps it very simple. And uh, yeah, so that's what I know about the absolutes. We're talking about them again. It's a lot of fun to go back. Chris, I'd like to know more about the women that um, started AA because I'm completely new to AA. So all I know is Bill. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I'd like to know more about the women of AA. So Chloe, did you prime everyone on this? <laughs> Chloe knows I do the history of women. It's like my favorite thing to talk about, so thank you. And now I've had coffee, so I'm all jacked up, um, which is kind of another funny thing. I used to be a bedhead. 
And so I can only like drink one cup of coffee now because I get all jicky. Uh, my husband, I'll come home from being with girlfriends and he'll say, I smell coffee on your breath. Have you been drinking coffee? I'm saying this because I'll start talking. I get all excited about it. But I just did a little workshop, the history of the women in AA. So I'll, I'll just say this. Um, we stand on the shoulders of the women who came into Alcoholics Anonymous, the men too, but the women who forged ahead. Remember, women alcoholics were not acceptable. It was not okay. It wasn't an open door. It wasn't like, oh, well, yeah, my mom's an alcoholic. No, they were hidden away. They were put into sanatoriums. They were given lobotomies. They were given all kinds of drugs to kind of keep them quiet. It was a very shameful thing, as we are ashamed too of our drinking. But what happened, the first woman, well, many women started, and I won't go all the way back, but come to the history. I'm going to do one in Yukon. Yukon, British Columbia. We're going to do the history of women. Um, the woman who, Frank Bookman, who started the Oxford group, he heard a message that changed the direction of his life, and he heard it from a woman. Her name is Jessie Penn Lewis. She was not an alcoholic. He gets a message of the simplicity of being making amends of this honesty. He brings it in, he forms this Oxford group. And the Oxford group was not formed to help alcoholics. It just happened that many of the early members were members of the Oxford group. Bill Wilson comes to Akron. He meets Dr. Bob. Bill Wilson was going to the Oxford group in New York. Bob is a member of the Oxford group. There's a woman very important in our history. Her name is Henrietta Sieberling. She was a member of the Oxford group. Oxford group depended very much on guidance and prayer. And uh, she was friends with Ann Smith. These are two important found, founding members of AA. They're not called that, but without them, we would not be where we are right now. And uh, Ann Smith was not an alcoholic. Henrietta was not an alcoholic. They were members of the Oxford group. So you come in and uh, they prayed for Dr. Bob. They had a meeting and you would, they would pray for one another. And he admitted that he was a drunk. And they said, we are going to pray for you. And uh, along comes Bill Wilson two weeks later. Two weeks later. Uh, and remember, there's no email. There's no, <laughs> there's no directory. There's no Alcoholics Anonymous. And so he, Dr. Bob, uh, Bill Wilson is at the train station or is at the hotel and he wants to drink. His business thing has fallen through. We know this from our big book. It's written in there. He calls several phone calls, but he eventually reaches Henrietta. And Henrietta says, yes, I do have a drunk you can talk to. And she introduces him to Dr. Bob. So starts the journey. It's not just Bill and Bob. It's Henrietta and Ann Smith. And they would meet for a while and, you know, good support. Henrietta put Bill Wilson up at a hotel because she knew this was something that could work. She, no one could imagine what was going to happen. Just knew that one drunk talking to another. Ann Smith let Bill Wilson move into their house. Ann Smith was married to Dr. Bob. That He was a doctor. They were having a really hard time financially. He was the town drunk. So you flash forward, Ann and Henrietta would sit every morning. They would get the Bible. And the four of them, Bill and Bob, Henrietta and Ann, would sit and read the Bible and pray for guidance. This is our 11th step. We didn't know it was our 11th step, but the genesis of all this. So these two women, we owe tremendous debt. Bill Wilson, many times she's called the mother of Alcoholics Anonymous. Henrietta Sieberling, without her, 
most of this would not have happened. Uh, you go on to, of course, Lois. Uh, behind every man is a good woman who's helping him either find his bottom or help him become the man he's going to be. And Lois Wilson was not an alcoholic. When you think of how many women were not alcoholic, remember, and our book talks about, be quick to find this, people of religion, people of uh, different faiths. Sister Ignatia was a woman, uh, she was known as the angel of Alcoholics Anonymous. Great story about her, I won't go into details, but she's a nun, was a nun. Uh, had this incredible past as a young woman. She came from Ireland. She had a nervous breakdown. They told her she couldn't be a musician. She loved music, she was teaching. Alcoholics Anonymous was not founded yet, but because she was a young Catholic nun and they told her she had to go work in this hospital. So she was devastated. She thought music is my life and now I'm going to work in this hospital. And there again, God doing for us, she couldn't imagine the role that she would play. She couldn't imagine what she would do. She just worked in this hospital where Dr. Bob worked. And when he was trying to sneak alcoholics, because hospitals didn't want alcoholics in there, you know, we're loud, we're obnoxious, we throw up, we run down the street, and we don't pay our bills. So it wasn't like there were alcoholic wards. But she played an amazing role because she helped Dr. Bob. So these are some of the women in Akron. And then you go to New York, and we had amazing women. Uh, there's a woman, my favorite story. It's my, not my favorite story. It's the story that touched my heart the most. Her name is Florence. Florence Rankin, she, um, she wrote the, uh, a story in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the first edition. It's called The Feminine Victory. And Florence is, I think, the story of many alcoholic women. AA was going to be called uh, 100 Men because they figured it was only men, right? Women who knew what they did and they weren't going to come around and talk about this. And Florence shows up and they realize they can't call it 100 Men. And so they, a lot of names were picked, but they went with Alcoholics Anonymous. And Florence, for a whole year, stayed sober. And she moved down to D.C. to help uh, another man named Fitz Mayo. And uh, Florence met, it's written in, in the history, and Fitz writes to Bill Wilson and says, uh, Fla uh, Francis, I'm sorry, Florence, Florence Rankin has met this youngin, and this guy was 15 years younger than Florence. Well, she goes off with him, and uh, she leaves AA. She starts drinking. So Florence does not stay a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. No one knows what really happens to her. She dies. We know that. I'm going to tell you this story because this is the power of Alcoholics Anonymous. So not the best story of Alcoholics Anonymous, but she changed things for us. She was the first woman to walk in. They had to change the name. It wasn't called The First 100 Men. It's called Alcoholics Anonymous. She wrote a story in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This is 1939. Um, she does not meet a happy ending. We don't know for sure what happened to her, but we know this happens. Flash forward many years later, the the group in Washington, Washington, D.C., they realize, the AA group, they go, well, you know, we, we need to find out whatever happened to Florence. And they go and they do some research. They know she died. They don't know where she's buried, but they put a little group together to find out. They find an obituary. They find her under her married name. They find her grave. And they also all chip in money. There's no grave marker. There's no gravestone. And it's published. I have pictures of it. 
They chip in money and they find a gravestone, they mark it, and they put Florence Rankin, a feminine victory, to honor her and say, thank you, Florence, thank you, thank you for opening this door for us. They're the gems, they're the seeds of Alcoholics Anonymous. Some of the most famous women are Marty Mann. She was a, a very wealthy woman, a bad drunk. She was also a lesbian. Of course, at that time, no one talks about women being lesbians, let alone being, you know, bad enough they're alcoholic or lesbians. But she also changed the face of alcoholism. She helped start the, um, what we know now today is the National Council on Alcoholism. And I have a little clip of her in my presentation. It's wild. She's out there talking about alcoholism being a disease. And there's so many women who came in. They didn't have, you know, this best story, I think, is Sybil. Uh, Sybil has come in. She has six husbands. Uh, you know, not all at the same time, but she, she you know, was pretty greedy with these husbands. And uh, she talks about when she went to the first meeting in L.A. Now, there was one meeting in L.A. I'm not going to keep going on and on. I told you, you asked the right question. Um, but here's the story. And I had her on a, a voice. These women are gone. But she uh, goes into, she writes to uh, Ruth Hawk, who's our secretary. You know, the, the debt we owe to these women who worked in the office with all these men coming in. And Ruth Hawk would just handwrite letters back to women. I mean, where they read an article in the newspaper and they write, and they go, I am an alcoholic. Where do I get help? And then someone writes back, Ruth Hawk. And there was one meeting in California, all of California, one meeting, LA. And Sybil goes to that meeting and they don't know she's an alcoholic because at that time it was all men. And they would ask all the women. The women would show up with them. But it was usually the wives. And they'd say, okay, now time for a meeting. All the wives go over here. And the men will go into the meeting. So when she heard this, they said, all the wives go in the other room. So she went in the other room. And her poor husband, who was not an alcoholic, had to go in with all the drunks. And so she's sitting there fuming. And uh, when they leave, her husband says, God, that was awful. All they did was talk about themselves for the whole hour, which is, you know, what we love to do. And so she writes another letter to, uh, to New York and says, they didn't let me in. And she said, well, did you tell them you were an alcoholic? And she said, well, no, they just told the women to leave the room. So she said, well, it was a terrible mistake. And there's one man you can call. And she calls this other man in L.A. And he says, well, you got to go back to the meeting and tell them that you're an alcoholic. No one knows there's a woman alcoholic. Now, can you imagine this? No one knows. They couldn't imagine that a woman alcoholic walked into that room. So she goes back. And they said, look, we didn't know. We're glad you're here. We really need you. So they have a meeting. And she's in the meeting. And after the meeting, they call a business meeting. They didn't call it then, but it was a business meeting. And he has a stack of letters and several stacks of letters and they're in rubber bands. And he goes, okay, who lives near Pasadena? If you don't know LA or the area, it's like who lives near Austin, who lives near Denton, who lives near Sherman, um, who lives near Pasadena? He hands him a stack of letters and he says, you take these. These are men who have written, who live close by. And you have to go see them. Remember, there's no email. There's no, few people had phones. So it wasn't like you're calling anyone. And few people only know about Alcoholics Anonymous through, uh, the book is now published, but it's not a bestseller. 
They know it through newspaper articles, most famously the Jack Alexander article. So he goes through all these different areas. Who lives near San Francisco? People would drive eight hours from Northern California to Southern California to go to a meeting, one meeting, the whole state. So he then says, and uh, Sybil, come up here. And he hands her a stack of letters. And he said, these are from women. Go see them. She goes, well, I don't know anything about staying sober. I just got here. He goes, well, you're the only woman. And they wrote and they need help. He said, so just go to their house. Now imagine this. You have to drive to their house, knock on the door, and say, did you write this letter? And if she says yes, it's like, do you want any help? Because I'm an alcoholic and I could take you to a meeting. And she was, so was like, I, I can't do that. I don't know anything. He goes, well, you're the only one. So if you don't do it, these women are going to die. And that's what she started to do. <laughs> she had less than a week sober. So let's never underestimate the power of one alcoholic talking to another. So these are some of the genesis, the seeds of how Alcoholics Anonymous was brought into the 21st century of women being accepted. Dr. Bob thought allowing women in would be the downfall. The women, the wives, thought this was the worst thing it ever because um, it happened because we know how, imagine alcoholic women. We were not known for being pure of heart. You know, they were afraid that we'd come in, snatch up their husbands, which I'm sure we did, a lot of them. Um, but there we are, we started that way. And the stories are so interesting. So many more stories of these women. The first black woman, the women who came in when there's no meeting. There's a whole story of women in Northern, you know, the Amarillo and Panhandle. And talking about how she would drive down to San Antonio because to help get this started and talk to other women. So lots of good, thank you so much. I think I took up the whole hour on that. But it's, we come by this, you know, these women didn't have a voice and we have a voice. We get a chance to talk to other women and say, you don't have to live this way. They didn't know they didn't have to live this way. And they too have, have laid groundwork for us that um, we owe them a debt and we owe them their voice and we owe them and many others the opportunity to pass it on, just pass it on like we're doing this morning. How lucky are we? You know, and today we have women's conferences, right? We're like women's meetings. We're, we're out there. And it's not something that we have to be terribly ashamed of because we heal. We heal through our fourth step. We heal through our 11th step. I just want to say this. For me, I'm 69 years old now. I am uh, 36 years sober. The healing never stops. And it's not this angst. It's not like, oh, I'm so ashamed. No, it's a sweetness that comes where more and more I realize I'm a child of God and that everything happened, every promise that is made in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, that we will not regret our past and I wish to shut the door on it. The days of being a drug addict, the days of doing things I wish I hadn't done, I can look at now and I can thank God for that journey because it's brought me exactly to the place I'm at. So we have no idea what's in store, but we trust. And we keep saying our third step prayer. Stephanie, I've banged on and on, honey. I'm turning it back to you. Thank you for asking. It's one of the things, obviously, I'm passionate about. And I think it's so interesting. I love reading about these women. I think, man, how did you do that? You know, how did you do that? Being the only woman there and all these guys. Anyhow, that's our history. We got a lot more. And there's a lot of good books on it, too. Thank Come you. to a lecture. Thank, Thank you, guys. Um, does anybody else have a question?
Okay. Carolyn, are you getting ready to ask one? Yes. Yes. I've got a question. And I just want to say, wow, I love you, even though I just met you. Um, I, I want to know, since you have long-term sobriety, um, <clears throat> I at one time did. And like the first 10 years, I was so in AA, you know, GSO, um, conferences, um, carrying the message, sponsoring a lot of people. And then, you know, you start to get into life and I had a child and then I was PTO president and I was doing some stuff in the community, started my own business, got real involved in church. And as an alcoholic that does everything 200%, I found myself, I found every single month and year sobriety taking the back seat. But it, and I never thought about drinking. I mean, the fact that I went eight years without drinking um, and not going to meetings or doing anything for my recovery is, I, I don't even know. But what it did is all the old ways came back that when that creeped up, I had no defense. And so I have a hard time finding a balance between, you know, my AA family that I love dearly and living in the world, you know, and, um, and resting on my laurels. So have you ever like found yourself, how do you stay balanced is what I'm asking. That's really, that's really a good question. Absolutely good question. Cause I meet a lot of women who take meetings down to the women's prison and, uh, it's just this drifting away from Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think for me, I got involved in 12-step work. And it's been the, the base, the base, also the joy, but it's been the base that has held me connected to AA. Uh, I traveled a lot. My career took off. We get busy. You know, this is what we're supposed to, I mean, life comes on. We get jobs. We, we do things we love. We grow. Uh, and I've seen a lot of friends who've drifted away from AA. And I love to, I really can hear you, what you're saying. It's not, alcohol doesn't come in and just go right away, have a drink. It's the old behaviors that come. And staying connected in AA, I heard this a long time ago. I have one hand uh, behind me that holds on to someone coming in after me. And I have one hand put in front of me, holding on to the woman ahead of me. And I don't have a free hand to pick up a drink. And that has proven really well for me, proven to work really well. I've just always stayed connected somehow. Uh, my a job, I did not tell people I was an alcoholic, was not relevant, but I always went back to a meeting. If I was on the road for a week, two weeks, I would call Alcoholics Anonymous and go to a meeting. Um, so i never really drifted away. I got involved in jail work, which was really powerful for me. I have only, you know, I've never went to jail, but I've been picked up a few times. Uh, it didn't matter, you know, but I, I think staying plugged in and doing 12 step work is what really kept me going. Cause it brings that, what's it say in our big, in our 12 and 12, the joy of living. And it's not just the joy of working with a drunk. It's the, it's the power that keeps us connected, our stories that keep us connected. And if I don't go to AA or I start drifting away, I start missing the story. I start missing the commonality. I start missing the power that we share with one another. And I know we get busy. We're, you know, we're not meant to just sit in AA room 24 seven, 
or stay at home, be miserable. We get out there and have a life. But yeah, I would say in finding a balance, you know, I, I mean, I'm married, I've got a beautiful, rich life. Uh, so I don't, I don't sit in the rooms of AA all the time, but I'm always available for Alcoholics Anonymous. And I also still do what I can as 12-step work. And it changes, it changes. You know, where I could run around, you mentioned 10 years. I always talk about 10 years sober because it's a great time because I knew everything. It was wonderful. Uh, and I had answers for everything. And that was mm -hmm. even better. Even for questions I wasn't asked, I had an answer. And then you don't, you know, you're like 20 years and you're like, I don't know. And then 30 years ago, oh, I, I really don't know anything. I'll just show up and listen. Um, and uh, we, we have to, uh, I, for me, we don't have to, I stayed plugged in. That was the most important thing. I know so many people who drift away. And yet I have so many friends who are plugged in and have gone away and come back. And sometimes we drink. I have a friend now. He's going to be speaking um, tomorrow. No, Sunday. I have no idea what day it is. He stayed 12 years, didn't drink, but didn't go to AA for 20, 22 years. And it's very difficult. You know, he's, he, he comes to our meetings. He feels really awkward. We're like, hey, we're just so glad you're here. Right? He's coming to Zoom meetings. Um, I would have missed the joy. I have a friend who described it this way. And I don't know anyone else who loves chocolate and ice cream. Most women do. Most people should. And uh, she says, you know, Kathleen, Alcoholics Anonymous is like a Sunday. You know, all that good stuff on it, chocolate, nuts, and whipped cream. And people sometimes come and just take the cherry off the top. And they don't stay for all that good gooey stuff in the inside. And that was something I could relate to. But I think 12-step work, and then see, I had friends who were involved in 12-step work. So we kind of had a little band together. We started going down to the women's prison. And that really was a strong bond. Not that we went all the time, but when we went, it was extremely powerful. And then I, start, I thought, I don't want to miss this. It's a great adventure. I'm just glad you're here. You know, we go out, we come back. or We don't have to go out. But to come back is quite the gift. Because then you come back with such experience and such depth and such an ability to love and surrender. So yeah, I, I, I think for me, that was it, getting involved. I like that. I like that not having a free hand. I'm going to remember that one. That was good. Yeah, it still works. It's still the same, the image I'm holding out. Can't pick up a drink. So end of the day, no drinking. Do you mind sharing your experience with jails and prisons? Yeah, it's been so much fun. Uh, I was five years sober. I knew a lot then, too. Um, at five years, we get busy. You know, our careers come back, or, or jobs, or babies, families. Uh, I was not married yet. I had, had a boyfriend, though. Um, seemed to always have one of them. And um, a couple of guys at my home group said, uh, would you like to take meetings into the women's jail? And I thought, no, I really don't. But I wanted to look good. Five years sober, it's really important to look good. So I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I just want to share this with you. I carried that application for the jail, the back of my car, for so long that it actually faded from the sun. And at that time, we had to get fingerprinted. And that seemed like so, so hard to do. Finally, a woman called me. She's still sober. I, she's sober longer than I. I filled out the application finally. And I figured, well, maybe I can do it for like six months. And um, 
at that time it's called Decker Jail, it's the old hotel downtown. And uh, I wasn't calling her back because there used to be a waiting list, only in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? A waiting list for volunteers to go in, to take the meetings into jail. That's why I love AA. Who else shows up all the time? Because I'll go to jail. No, I'll go to jail. We're all going to jail. Um, and she called and I wasn't calling her back because now I'm traveling and I'm busy. And uh, she left me this message. And she said, Kathleen, it's a privilege to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you don't want to do it, someone else will. So now she did the two worst things. You know, she embarrassed me. I was embarrassed because I should have called this woman back. And uh, I called her back. Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to do the jail. And I started down to uh, Decker Jail. We had teams. And I was a little afraid. I, I had not served time. I'd been picked up and put in paddy wagons, what we used to call paddy wagons. Uh, it was a different time, too. I mean, I've had cops drive me home, but that was a long time ago. Um, and I had watched too many movies of women in jail. And I went down to that jail with another woman. You know what happened? I realized there I sit. There I sit. Same, same things. I, I found out God's anonymous, and I did not get caught. And I, I began a love affair. It changed my life. Uh, I met a woman I sponsor. I still sponsor today. Terry, she was sitting in that jail cell crying. And I never asked what was wrong. Um, she was sentenced to 10 years, seven felonies. And uh, I gave her my phone number, which we weren't supposed to do because we weren't. They suggested it was a long time ago, too, guys. And of course, you know, we don't follow rules. I did follow a lot of the rules, but I gave her my phone number. And she called, and she was uh, now at a place called Help is Possible that's no longer around, waiting for sen sentencing. And her father was dying. She had been living in her car. Uh, she was breaking into the house to steal his stuff and her mom's stuff. And uh, But this is what I love about alcoholics. She's living in her car, right, dumpster diving. But she's also got the cat and the kitty litter in the back of the car. I thought, you gotta love us. You know, we're so crazy. And uh, she and I began this journey. And uh, we've been together 32 years. She's 32 years sober. And there's a long story there. And sometime you might want to invite Terry. She's now known as Dr. Terry. And, uh, you know, I got to witness that. I would have missed that if I had not been involved in that work. And after doing the jail, I don't know, we upgraded. We thought, well, let's go to prison, you know, we'll go down to the prison. I had met some women. I was going to a halfway house for ex-convicts and I met women down there. And one of them was sentenced to prison in Gatesville. So I started to go to visit her and then uh, realized there was a prison. There wasn't a prison program that I knew of from Dallas, but I knew the prison allowed volunteers in. So I filled out that paperwork more quickly and I found another woman. Uh, I didn't know anyone who's taken meetings to prison. Her name was Lawanda, and she was older than me, and uh, she had a big-ass Lincoln Continental. And she and I, we, she took meetings into the jail. And I said, well, I, I have, I'm cleared for prison. And she goes, oh, I am too. And we're all, like, excited. We go, Let's go to prison. So we load up in that big Lincoln. So I could think it was like an airplane. And we drive to Gatesville, which is three hours away. And we started to take meetings down to the Gatesville prison. And today we have a really healthy program. We call ourselves the Dames. And it's a Dallas area, alcoholic, messenger, envoys. We had drank much caffeine. You know, we stop in a little town called West. And we still go to prison. I don't go as much. You know, 12-step work changes. 
but the group still goes and I, I went, I'm cleared for prison and it changed my life again, you know, to walk into the prison, to realize we are the same women. You know, you may have done a little more, you may have done a little less. You may have gotten caught a lot more. And uh, it's again, been one of the great gifts of my life. A Bunch of us go and we have a blast, you know, women who normally would not mix. And one of the promises in our big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, our past becomes our greatest asset. No matter how far down the scale we've gone, we will help others. And I would be sitting in the prison thinking, man, I thought I would never tell people this. And I've had volunteers come down with us. And I remember this one woman, I just want to share this story because it changed me. She's beautiful, beautiful. She was a dancer, my age tall out she had the best posture and like this she was really tall elegant and looked like you know the world on a string she had everything and she started to share her story at prison and she said well i also um believe it and i also cut myself and i had never heard anyone admit that you know it's not a thing we usually admit in the rooms and i could feel the women behind me but some of the inmates just start crying and I, I i realized that this woman was saying things these women have done but they could never tell anyone they could never tell anyone that they cut themselves it's one of the hardest things we deal with i think for for a for a, a, a disease for for pain and um and this woman continued to take meetings down there she started oa down there because again i saw women i saw their faces just crumble in they didn't know anyone else that would talk about eating disorder who throw up. I, I, it was an amazing gift. It was one of the most dreadful things that we can share, but we share. And out of that comes most amazing healing. So I'll never forget that moment hearing this. And she was the volunteer. And she started taking meetings down there with um, Overeaters Anonymous. So out of that, you know, I have friends from prison. <laughs> My husband used to love when I'd say, I'm going to prison today. He'd say, well, I hope you come home. And I go, me too. I hope I come home. And, uh, but it's always been a rich, rewarding experience. That's why, and that, you know, we have our 12 step, we have different 12 step callings. And there's still a group of us trudge down there at 6 a.m. We get in the car and we think, boy, we'd just be coming home from someone, you know, getting kicked out of some party at this time. And here we are in a car, clean and sober, drinking our coffee, stopping in West yakking all the way and dividing up and going into units. I've sponsored women in prison. I've gone to funerals of women in prison. Um, I, don't, I don't know what's happened to them, many of them. We started a little halfway house for women getting out of prison. It's been an amazing gift and who would have known? I didn't want to go, but if I hadn't gone, I would have missed that. So that's, that's been my journey with that kind of trust at work. But we have so many different ways of carrying the message. That one touched my heart. It continues to. It's very important to me. So, yeah. So, guys, I know you know a lot about me. I don't know much about you. But, Stephanie, I defer to you. You tell me, what, when to shush? No, thank you for, uh, for sharing that. So, um, does, does anyone have a question before I ask? our wrap-up question because it's getting to the hour james kathleen would you add your phone number to the chat just so we can contact yeah. you? that'd be super yeah. fun. thank you yeah. 
Yeah, sure. Anytime. And uh, oh, there's already a message. I love this Zoom. Thank you. Um, I think Zoom, this is just my little opinion. I feel like Zoom has rocketed Alcoholics Anonymous into a whole new world. It's akin to what the Jack Alexander article did. Uh, it's, give a, uh, it's given a breadth and a depth of our message of reaching out. I've had people, I just go to a little baby Zoom meeting at noon, and uh, the people coming in who've been out, and it's too awkward for them to come in, or they've... Um, haven't been to a meeting in years, or they're still struggling, or they're going to meetings in Germany, Austria, all over the world. I'm giving my email too, so, but I can't spell. Um, so I love this Zoom. I, I, only, I do it once a day. There you go. We're I having a woman. Um, I do yes, want to uh, mention, y'all, um, if you guys can, we don't have enough time to talk about it today, but if you, like, have a chance to look into the Jack Alexander article that was written about Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, it is really amazing. Um, it really kind of put AA, like it gave AA credibility. Wouldn't you say, Kathleen? And it, it, it was a really good article that was written. So Kathleen, my wrap up question is if you, first of all, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much. If you would have us take away one thing, what would that one thing be? What would you want the one takeaway to be? One takeaway is don't quit. Don't quit before the miracle. Don't quit. Life can, life is in session. Life is in session. Do not quit. We're going to have tough times. We're going to lose people we love. We're going to be disappointed in ourselves. We're going to feel worthless. We're going to feel joy. We're going to be sad about our children. We're going to be sad about losing a parent. I mean, life goes on. Don't quit before the miracle. I didn't know what that meant. I knew it was important. Um, you don't drink and you don't quit. You show up. And you'll be amazed at what happens. That's why we talk about I know we sound like such groupies. But this is what happens. I'm so grateful I didn't quit during the hard times, during that dependency, that times when I was crazy with that man just following him, drive by his house, and I didn't drink. I didn't drink, and I listened to women, and they'd say, hang in there. It's going to be okay. So don't quit. We need you. We would miss you terribly if you weren't here. Even though I don't know you each personally, you can't imagine what you bring to the table just showing up and making us strong, making us healthy. And the world needs healthy women, right? Our children need healthy women. Our parents need healthy women. And I really believe as I get healthy and I continue, I continue to grow, I continue to heal, I continue to be a wise woman now, um, the world gets a little better. We share that. It means another woman has a chance of doing it. So don't quit before the miracle. I look forward to seeing you somewhere down this amazing road. I'll see Chloe and uh, yeah. I'll yak about some other stuff. Hi, sweetheart. I see you, baby. And I love you guys. Thank I, you so I, much. Yes. Thank you and so you, much. Good luck with job today. Thank That's you. Awesome. awesome. Here, Crystal, Christine, you all look so beautiful. Mm -hmm. oh, thank you. I can't do that.
Thank you so much for sharing. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenehouse.org.